I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. It's no secret that the legal profession is in desperate need of more diversity. But we've done enough of talking about the problem, and it's time to start talking about the solutions. Joining me today are two ladies who are very much so focused on finding those solutions. I have Rashida Douglas and Danielle Bordley. Uh, both are working in the law school arena. Rashida at Rutgers Law School, my alma mater. Danielle Bordley at the Klein School of Law uh, through Drexel University, where I'm on the board. And I'm so very happy to have them both chatting with me because they have two unique programs, uh, but still kind of very different uh, to help cure that pipeline of diverse talent that's needed for the legal profession. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you, Lloyd. All right, I'm excited to have this conversation because there were not programs uh, like what you two have in your respective law schools when I was matriculating through law school. Uh, at least I didn't have it at, at Rutgers when I was there. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Rashida, because I know that you, you essentially started the program or you at least remixed it, right? Uh, yes. Because uh, this program kind of has a legacy through Rutgers, but only over at Newark, and then you brought it to Camden. So I'm going to start with kind of the general uh, talk to me about why and how you started the program at Rutgers Law School and what is it? Okay, well, I, I think it might be helpful for me just to touch briefly on the history of the program. Perfect. Like you just did in, in terms of its legacy. Uh, the Minority Student Program, lovingly called MSP, has been in existence since 1968. Uh, the program was created at Rutgers Newark, and the program initially started as a result of the law school doing introspection about how it could be doing more to help increase diversity within the profession. This was after the uh, race rebellion in the city of Newark, New Jersey, my hometown. The law school um, just took that time to realize and, and to really think about how it could do better to build bridges with the community of Newark, which is predominantly African-American. How could it ensure that there were more black law students? And so with faculty and students, um, and I really wanna emphasize that because some of the, the the movement for MSP was actually led by students. Wow. Um, they created the Minority Student Program and literally within three years, um, they dramatically changed um, the culture there at Rutgers Law where there were a handful of black students that had ever been um, students at Rutgers Law um, since its inception, but within three years of MSP, there were 40 Black students at Rutgers Law School in Newark. And you and I, Danielle, you know as well, that is rare even to this day um, in terms of seeing that number of Black students within the law school. And so the MSP program has helped to change the face of the profession in New Jersey and beyond. Um, and we now see members of MSP, MSP alumni who are judges, law firm partners, heads of nonprofit organizations, um, also in leadership and government agencies. And so when the law schools merged in 2015, Rutgers Law School at Newark and Rutgers Law School in Camden became one law school. Uh, the law school in Camden and Newark, they wanted to ensure that MSP was actually now in Camden to be able to also make an impact in this region. And we really have done just that, like continuing on the legacy of MSP in terms of mentors, summer internships, I'm also just bringing in panel um, lists throughout the semester to have students see attorneys who are from diverse communities actually thriving in the profession, helping them also to build those networks to start to gain that social capital that we all know is essential when you're transitioning to the legal profession. And so it's been my joy, um, it's been my pleasure to lead the MSP program in Camden since 2016. Wonderful. Wow. Okay, Danielle, over in Philly, yeah. why did you start your program? 
So my experience prior to uh, my current role as Assistant Dean of Diversity, Inclusion, and Student Life was in the Law Admissions Office. And I spent 10 plus years there seeing um, applications come in um, and noticing a trend for uh, students from underrepresented backgrounds, either their applications were coming in a little bit later than they should in the cycle, or I could tell that they were calling in and asking if they needed to have uh, their application perfected before they even submitted. Um, and through that experience, I noticed that there might be a need to get in front of these students prior to them applying. So. Um, over the years, I went to different conferences to learn more about what pipeline programs could look like uh, through the law school and develop the now called uh, the Stephen uh, and Sandy Scheller uh, Diversity Pipeline Program. And what that basically is, is a three week summer immersion program at the law school that started as an in-person uh, full day program, but then COVID hit. Uh, so we had to transition to virtual, but that's opened up an opportunity for us that we didn't expect. One, it allowed us to have a more extensive reach beyond the Philadelphia tri-state area. Um, and it also allowed us to branch out to more than just undergrad students. So now we have undergrads, we have postgrads, we have people who may be taking on a second career, learning about what it means to be a law student one in and getting their application materials together and understanding what that should look like in advance so that when they do go to apply, they're applying in a timely fashion. They're able to produce an application that is robust in that we review their personal statement, their diversity statement, um, and it just gives them the strength and confidence to know that they can do well through that process. We also have, we have several things to the program, LSAT tutoring, uh, they sit in on classes, they have their own classes, they take law school exams, all of these things that could feel very pressured, especially if they have no previous uh, interaction with individuals that can help them establish what that should look like and allows them the freedom to do so with a bit of ease because they've had some immersion through this program. Danielle, I love the way that you couch that because really what you're, what, like you said, you're instilling that confidence in the students. You're not giving them really any skills that they didn't already have. What you're doing is you're giving them some of the behind the curtains as to how the process goes. Because if you don't have someone, I think Rashida even made this point, um, you know, who can kind of hold your hand through that process. I mean, it's foreign to you. Uh, and so to try to navigate this process, to make yourself competitive, because law school applications are going up, um, that is an area where you are going to need some guidance. I, I want to double click though. Um, Danielle, you talked about how your program is about three weeks. What happens during those three weeks uh, specifically? Sure, so uh, we have, each of the classes are something 101. So our Law 101 class is with one of our legal methods professors, and she basically teaches the elements of reading and writing like uh, an attorney, um, and allows them to kind of go through the cases, understand what briefing is, understand the different methodologies that you have to you know, understand through uh, the coursework that you do, um, and it really gives them a sense of what it feels like to be a 1L. Uh, we also do the fun things like mock trial. All the students really enjoy that because they get to see what it means to be on both sides of, of the uh, argument and understand what that looks like. Again, as I mentioned, we have the LSAT tutoring where we have an outside company come in and tutor our students for the three weeks, but that extends an additional 
five weeks because as you both know uh three weeks is not enough time to prepare at all <laughs> i was gonna say whoever's teaching that you're paying them some money to teach the lsat in three weeks okay got it <laughs> so that's a full eight weeks that they get uh to, you know two, twice a week that they're able to get that lsat tutoring um, and then we allow them to sit in on, we have some summer courses and they sit in on uh, usually our contracts class with our dean of students so they can feel the pressure of the cold calling. Um, they have to do all of the readings and prepare for the class. Um, and that's really exciting for them, but also very um, uh, detailed conversations with like our financial aid director to help them understand how to prepare and be financially prepared for the application process, being a law student, preparing for the bar. Um, and then we have some select uh, courses uh, with a few of our faculty members who just like to be involved today. Uh, we're currently in the pipeline program now. We had our Professor Lopez teach about what happens in our community lawyering clinic and mm -hmm. all of the exciting things that they're able to do there. We'll hear from Professor Wendy Green about the Crown Act and we'll have uh, Dr. Tibbs teach us about uh, hip hop and the law. So they get these you know, very fine-tuned conversations, but also the broad strokes of what it means to be a law student so they can be prepared for that. Right, so it seems as if over at Drexel, you're getting the prequel uh, to being a law student, but the program over at Rutgers, Rashida, really picks up steam once you actually are a law student, correct? Absolutely. Um, we also, what we do in, in MSP in Camden and in Newark, we have an orientation that we bring the students to the campus prior to the start of law school so that they start to bond with one another, they start to form that social network that they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, in Camden, we also have a program called Jumpstart, where law students are able to take one law class prior to the start of the fall semester. So while the MSP students are there, they also receive structured study groups. And so they're learning how to actually study. And then we know that throughout law school, you need study groups, but even then in the profession, you're always working on teams. And so we're trying to teach them about how to build um, efficient team dynamics and, and how to participate and learn from each other because you learn so much outside of the classroom. Um, the other thing that I do with the MSP students in the summer is I also plan field trips. And then I just call it field trips, even though that may sound elementary, but it really <laughs> is taking them into employers' offices. So we visit local law firms, we visit local government agencies, we also visit corporations uh, like Comcast Corporation in Philadelphia. And some of the value of that is allowing them to start envisioning themselves in those spaces. Like I've had students tell me that it was their first trip to a law firm, like we were at Capehart Scatchard earlier this summer, the first time they had been inside of a courtroom meeting with uh, judges like Judge Williams or like Judge Dortch down at the Superior Court. And so I want them to start, like Danielle said um, a little earlier, just starting to build that confidence and envisioning themselves in those spaces succeeding. And then um, what we also provide to the MSP students are mentors. They receive a upper-class law student mentor. They also receive an attorney mentor. Um, again, helping them to start building that network, understanding what are some of the soft skills that you need um, to be able to succeed in law school and to be able to transition to the legal profession 
Um, and so even though we start that for Jumpstart, it continues throughout the fall semester where, um, again, they have structured study groups. Again, they are continuing to uh, meet with their mentors. I also bring in a number of different panelists, um, as I mentioned earlier, and it can be, you know, thriving in private practice. Lloyd, I've had you on several panels. We've talked about <laughs> your professional brand and, and what does that mean and why do you need to start building that and also protecting that while you're in law school, you know, what not to put on social media. Some of those things that... Um, um, our students just won't know because, or oftentimes don't, because they're oftentimes the first in their families to yes. not only to go to law school, but also to go to college. And so, like you said, pulling that curtain back, um, giving them that insider information that's going to help them thrive um, and building relationships that can also, as we know, bring resources. Uh, to them, whether it's scholarships, whether it's someone outside of career services, and don't get me wrong, career services does an excellent job, but sometimes it helps to have someone else look at your resume. Um, it helps to have someone else send your resume to, you know, a, a friend who's at the firm or a friend who's at the government agency. And so it really is building that social capital that students from affluent backgrounds often have. And, and that's where, you know, and, and why we see um, the disparity in terms of, at least in my opinion, that's one of the reasons why we don't see as much diversity within the legal profession is because um, members of communities of color, you know, people who are from the LGBTQ community and even women oftentimes just don't have those social relationships that can really make or break someone in the profession. And so we start to help them build that while they're in law school. Um, and the other thing just, and I know you didn't ask, but I think it's really important to note when you have programs like this, it helps to enrich the culture there at the law school where the students see other law students that look like them, that are from communities that they're Absolutely. succeeding. Like we we have a joke in MSP, we said we run the law school, like we're leading, you know, Boston, we're in leadership on SBA, leadership of Alianza, leadership of different organizations um, that have nothing to do with diversity, but that are very important within the law school. They see each other leading in those um, spaces and it encourages them. It is starts to help them feel that they belong in law school, um, which we all know is a, another key part to having our students succeed and to be able to graduate. Um, so just helping to build that additional layer of support. And um, it's important, and I know alumni, we've talked about that for years, Lloyd. You, you know, Judge Williams, Justice Fabiana Pierre, Louis and I have talked um, at length about there needing to be a program that helps to essentially bridge the gap. And so, um, that is really some of the core pieces of what we do at the MSP program in Camden. And we also do a pre-law diversity conference. Uh, Danielle could not be more right in terms of, you know, we can't just bring the students in to say, hey, this is the law school application, have at it. Like we need to make sure that they understand how do you put together a successful application and also having them hear from speakers like yourself, Lloyd, and other uh, lawyers who can talk about the their journeys and how they were able to triumph over the impossible, which is what a lot of our students are facing in the communities that they're coming from. And so that has been a core piece of the pipeline that continues, you know, pre-law, law school, and then, you know, trying to help them continue to succeed. We even have contacts with our alumni. Uh, we send out job opportunities. We send out other, you know, information. We know a firm is hiring. Like we try to make sure that that information is circulated amongst the MSP alumni as well, and just encouraging them to give back and always reach back to MSP. That is wonderful. So familiarity with the LSAT, uh, how to create a competitive law school application, um, mentorship, um, navigating uh, law school, um, th those soft skills around networking, 
What I didn't hear, because I know this is also one of those barriers to us, you know, increasing the diversity within the law schools and also the legal profession, affording law school. Uh, so Danielle, do you agree that is also one of the reasons why we don't have so, you know, enough diversity in the legal profession? And what does your program do to speak to that? Absolutely. Um, the, you know, students have hopes and dreams to be sitting in the seat that you're in, Lloyd, uh, eventually one day. Um, and being able to realize that is a matter of affordability. They have the skills, they have the talent, um, and the finance is where a lot of the struggle is. And being able to kind of combat that or, or bridge the gap there is through this particular program, uh, the, the pipeline program that we have at, at Fine, we do offer our students uh, scholarships who have um, completed the program successfully. In addition, I'm outside of this particular program, because of course my, my job doesn't just run for three weeks in the summer, but- um, <laughs> We wish it did, we I wish. Know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we take a very careful approach to the application process. And when we talk about merit-based scholarships, um, what does merit mean exactly? Is it just the numbers? I don't believe so. And uh, being a part of the admissions committee for the years that I have been now, I've been able to share that perspective that merit extends beyond what the numbers uh, for any applicant brings to us. So we were looking at the diversity statement and I always encourage all of our applicants to write one. What else are they bringing to the table? What is their perspective going to add to the classroom? Why should we want them a part of our community? And because of that, we're able to also uh, review them for additional scholarships for anyone who does write that particular statement. Um, because we want those people in our classroom spaces that are going to bring that additional perspective um, to you know, not only increase our diversity culturally, but of, of course, across uh, the conversations that'll be held, the, the uh, if you will, arguments between sides to bring a perspective that may not be uh, the traditional one in the classroom. So we're hopeful that um, looking at an applicant beyond just what the numbers are describing will not only uh, fill in our spaces and make us look more like the community that we're surrounded by, but also give opportunity to individuals that all they need is that extension, that extended hand and allowing that support to allow them to come in and show us their skills show us that they have the tools prepared to be a successful legal professional. Very well said. But but then let me tell the listeners how law school works because you know that's wonderful and you work with them on getting a scholarship to get into law school. Great. So now I'm making it. I'm in law school. And literally you get through the first year and the way that law school works, they'll tell you, oh, can you work for free uh, for the summer? This is an unpaid internship. Uh, and so Rashida, I know that your program uh, helps some of the students out in that regard, because listen, that can be a huge huge hurdle uh, because you want to get that legal experience. It's necessary to get that legal experience, but oftentimes it's working with the judge. Um, and those are unpaid opportunities for the law students. So Rashida, how does your program help some of the students out in that regard? Well, I'd, I'd love to specifically talk to the judicial internships um, that you mentioned, because one of the um, new programs that I helped to develop in Camden is our judicial internship stipend program for the very reason that you stated um, that, you know, the experiences with the judges, like I honestly feel like that is the best experience of my first, first job. Law student. My first job. 
Yes, that's the best experience, hands down. You also get mentoring from a judge. You're continuing to, you know, develop your writing skills, research, and you're seeing what you've learned in the classroom actually play out in the courtroom. Right. But as you mentioned, those positions are unpaid. And I know I could not take an unpaid position in the summer. That was a, a that was a non-starter for me. Um, you know, I didn't have family members that I could reach back on to say, can you pay my rent? That was that was a non-starter. And so what I um, created was a, an internship stipend program to support MSP students specifically um, who decide to serve as judicial interns. And the reason that that was critical to me is because those are some students who possibly did not knock it out of the park academically their first semester. When you're applying for positions in the summer, as you know, Lloyd, law firms and, and other employers are only looking at that first semester of grades because that is all that they have when they're applying. And so for my students that did really well, that, you know, have the GPAs that law firms are looking for, whether it's a three, 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 four, three, five, and, and we go up from there, those students do well um, in terms of placing with law firms and receiving that huge paycheck that law students are often dumbfounded by. Right. <laughs> but, but they have those opportunities. We also have, you know, great programs in the city that I, I help our students with applying, like the Philadelphia Diversity Law Group, like the Association of Corporate Counsel, like the Montgomery County Bar Association. So I work really closely with our career services and making sure that our students' essays, their resumes, their cover letters, you know, are free of typos and that they're compelling. And so I have a good deal of students that do successfully place that way, but it came to my attention pretty quickly that I had another group that, like I said, did not do that well academically. But those students, to me, even more um, are in need of having that opportunity with a judge because they need to build that, you know, the confidence again to start to build their professionalism um, and to continue working on their research and writing skills and also to hopefully position them even better for the following um, recruitment season for OCI. And so we've done that in, in Camden. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on just briefly in terms of scholarships, which is something that I, I stress to the MSP students, and I know Drexel students as well um, are competing for scholarships from bar associations. That's something that students from underrepresented communities don't know. They they don't they don't understand what is a bar association and why is it something that I should be, you know, starting to participate in and to reap benefits from as a law student. I didn't realize bar associations were in existence until I think my third year. And, and by that point, I think I had one scholarship, but I think Lloyd, you, you realized pretty early on. And Let so, me tell you something that became my bread and butter. I applied for every bar association scholarship from like Miami to New York. <laughs> and then I got upset that I couldn't win the Black Women Lawyers Association scholarship. I said, what do you mean I can't win? They were like, uh, sir, uh, this one's not for you. I was like, well, there's listen, criteria here that you don't if, quite meet. If nobody else applied. I'm trying to get that money too. <laughs> Right. Our school is expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. But those are some of the things that students who don't have lawyers in their family, they just, they don't know. And so right. you don't know what you don't know. And so I um, consistently send that information out. Um, I have bar associations sometimes tell me they didn't get enough applicants. And so then I'm back on the students like, hello, why are you not applying for free money? And they're surprised um, that they are competitive for those opportunities and they have won those scholarships. And again, it's like a ripple effect. Once you have students winning those scholarships, the students that are right behind them see, oh, this is attainable. This is something that I should be doing. And so it becomes a part of the culture um, at the uh, organization. And so those scholarships are helpful and it helps the students to understand 
why they should be involved with bar associations, why they should start participating in their mentoring programs, which all of the bar associations do, and they have free law student membership, why not take advantage of it? So it has been, the bar associations have been a key partner for me in actually establishing MSP in Camden. I definitely hand, can undoubtedly say that I would not have been able to establish the program without leaning on the bar associations for mentors, for scholarships, for panels. Um, and so I, I just think it's important to show the students how you serve those organizations and then how those organizations can oftentimes serve and benefit you um, as well. So that has been a key piece of the success of MSP. That's tremendous. It's tremendous because I I, I can't say it enough uh, that that financial hurdle. I mean, that it's a huge hurdle for you to jump over in law school. I, I don't want to paint the work that the two of you are doing as easy as something that, oh, yeah, I, I put together a program and, you know, students came and, you know, we got them a scholarship and then everything is great. We're still moving at a glacial pace in diversifying the legal profession. So I imagine that there are still, you know, some obstacles, there are still some challenges that you are facing. Um, Danielle, I'll start with you. What, what are some of those? Are there challenges associated with getting students in the program, i.e., you know, there's a stigma associated with being involved in a program like this? Are there challenges with eventually getting these, these students hired? What are the challenges that you're facing? So specifically in the pipeline program, I found that, you know, the students who go through are extremely proud to be a part um, and have don't feel any particular stigma about it. Um, for this particular program, it's not necessarily a pipeline in a drug, so we're just trying to push the students out into the profession. So they may go off to other schools and we're so proud of them for doing that. And uh, the ones that do land here, um, we have our first, uh, she'll be graduating next year from the, uh, she went through the pipeline program and then started here uh, the following year. Um, and I still find her super excited to share that news with others. Um, but what <laughs> I just had a current student uh, panel just yesterday, and she was a part of the panel. And one thing that she did note specifically was that it wasn't about being a part of the program that she felt stigma. It was being in a predominantly white institution and being one of few. Wow. Told the story about standing outside and she forgot her ID. And so she couldn't get into the building. And she sat there for a while and was like, I don't want to ask someone to let me in because here I am, this lone black girl standing outside who forgot her ID. And then she shared with me that she came when she came in and talked to me about it. I was like, everybody feels similarly to you. They might not feel like the lone black girl, but they are the new student who's just afraid to ask because there's no one else around. So I think the stigma still lies in being one of few. So the more that we're able to bring more students in through these types of program like ours and the MSP, it allows for people to see more people like themselves and feel a sense of comfort and belonging so that you know you can say, hey, uh, help me. <laughs> Ask for that extended hand. Ask to let me in a building, something as simple as that. Um, and I think that's something we definitely need to work on. Love that. Did you wanna add anything, Rashida? Oh, no, I, I agree with, with what Danielle um, has shared, that that is one of the challenges. And one thing that um, we did in response to just getting that type of feedback from students about imposter syndrome, 
um, about bias is um, we started offering at the law school um, workshops on implicit bias, on um, imposter syndrome, um, on addressing microaggressions. And um, we actually have that as as mandatory for all of our students for orientation to participate in trainings on implicit bias. Um, I think it not only helps to benefit the law school culture and giving the students those tools to have conversations and to be um, comfortable talking about things like race, like gender, like sexual orientation. Um, It also helps, I think, prepare the students for the profession because thankfully we've seen, you know, more law firms, more employers having conversations like that as well so that the students can share their perspectives. And um, I will say that the students were looking, you know, for those opportunities to learn about how do I address microaggressions? This is something that I don't want to be unprepared for or something that I don't want to ignore. Um, And so I've just seen the generation that is in law school right now has pleasantly surprised me in a lot of ways in, in pushing back on the system and the status quo mm-hmm. and, and basically, you know, forcing institutions and I, and I believe employers as well to um, just reflect more on, on how do we do better about being more inclusive, um, you know, in our spaces. And so it has been a learning experience for me as well. I'll, I tell everyone, like I learned just as much from these students as I've been, you know, sharing what I know with them. Um, and so, yeah, that that is pretty much what I wanted to share on that point. Yeah, they're asking us very, um, you know, pointed questions in the interviews now around how inclusive our workspaces are, you know, as a, as a law firm. Uh, they're asking us very specific questions around what does your diversity look like, not just within the associate ranks, but also in the partnership ranks and the firm leadership ranks. I mean, these are, again, questions I wouldn't have even dreamt of asking, you know, some X number of years ago when I was interviewing uh, at, at a law firm. So that's good to know that, you know, instilling, um, uh, you know, the importance of diversity and inclusion uh, is coming from, from programs like both of yours. I, I want to conclude um, one final question because I kind of want to talk about the future. Uh, and so what is on your wish list? Uh, so to expand the program, uh, what additional services would you like to provide? Um, because I'm sure you've, you've had the program for some time now. And so there, there's got to be a way in which you would like to move the needle with the program. So uh, Rashida, what's on your wish list? Um, I would love to be able to provide more funding uh, for students with the bar exam. Um, bar exam prep. Like, I feel like that is another gargantuan hurdle that students from underrepresented communities have to uh, face and and overcome. Um, The MSP program, and forgive me if I didn't mention it when we first started, but it's specifically for 1Ls, 1L law students. And so I saw that the program, we needed to continue building it out. And we've had some partners with that, like law firms like Archer Law, White and Williams, um, another corporation that have given scholarship funds. But I see that there's also a need for the 3L population. So those students that don't have... um, bar exam stipends from firms, right? So we have some students that did not um, secure positions in big law. Those students are fortunate to have firms that are giving them those bar exam stipends. But for the other students that have not um, secured those positions, the bar exam and studying for it is is daunting um, to have that financial strain while also preparing for pretty much the biggest exam of your life. Um, So I would love to be able to have just more stipends and scholarship money for students to be able to prepare for the bar exam. So it's, it's a bit of fundraising. Like that, that is something that um, I definitely have to work more on. Danielle, how about you? I, I like Rashida's answer, definitely. Um, <laughs> I would love to, to bring that over to Drexel. But I was thinking about our specific, um, the pipeline program 
And something I would love is partnerships with other uh, institutions in the area. Um, so we get to show them what we are capable of here um, and what happens at this particular law school, but I would love to open that up to our local law schools to, or even beyond since right now we're doing virtual things um, so that students can get a sense of what, you know, I always talk about fit and feel. So the fit might be that they have all of the academics and we might have the academic, uh, you know, uh, things that the students are looking for, but we wanna give them a sense of what it feels like to be a part of the community too. So I would love to be able to expand that beyond what we offer here. I love that. I can tell you firsthand, uh, navigating law school is hard. Navigating law school as a person from an underrepresented group, it's even harder. And navigating law school as one of those members of an underrepresented group and doing it by yourself, doing it without any guidance, that can sometimes seem impossible. But thanks to those programs that we have over at the law school at Drexel and at Rutgers, you all are making it happen for a lot of people who thought that law school was only a dream and you're making it a reality. So Rashida, Danielle, hats off to you. Hats off to your respective law schools and these amazing programs. I wish you well and much success in all that you're doing. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Rashida.